the complete opposite of that, the view that we've just been mentioning. There are no built-in uh, standards, or at least uh, if there were, they've been destroyed as a result of the fall. Uh, they can be recreated by revelatory faith, but they're not there uh, naturally, and they are certainly not there demonstrably. And then thirdly, there's Brunner's position that uh, the structures are built in. There is a natural revelation. So ontologically they are there, but epistemologically they are not demonstrable apart from special revelation. Special revelation is, order, is needed in order to reveal their content. Interestingly enough, Lewis himself takes this position elsewhere. He takes this position in the broadcast talks uh, in arguing the case for Christianity when he says that it's true that standards differ all over the globe, but everywhere there are standards. There are some kind of standards everywhere, and thus uh, we can say that uh, standards, in fact, are built in, but the implication is that the content of them uh, is not clear because of the diversities. Now, what's the importance of endeavoring to resolve this thing? Uh, is this a question analogous to the number of angels that dance on the head of a pin? Which, by the way, always depends upon the diameter of the pin. Uh, is it that sort of thing, or is there more to it than that? Well, it seems to me this is a very, very important question because it has to do with the apologetic approach we take, what sort of apologetics we practice. Um, if we take the Bardian position, we will necessarily be presuppositionalists, uh, not endeavoring to build up any kind of argument, either on the basis of general or special revelation. Uh, if we are high Anglicans, uh, if we take the Thomistic kind of approach, uh, then we'll attempt to argue for Christianity by relating it to existing natural standards, which we will endeavor to demonstrate independently of revelation. We'll end up doing something like Bishop Butler did in his analogy of religion. Or thirdly, if we happen to agree with the Brunerian view, for want of a better term, what we'll attempt is uh, to demonstrate special revelation. We'll, we'll attempt to demonstrate the truth of God's revelation in Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ, and on that basis we will attempt to flesh out the content of the existing standards. Right? So it seems to me it's important that we try to resolve this sort of thing, and here the uh, lawyers can help us. Why can lawyers help us? Because, as we've said, in the history of legal ideas, in the field known as jurisprudence, the primary conflict has been between the natural law thinkers and the legal positivists. Uh, the fact is that up to the mid-19th century, the prevailing legal philosophy was a natural law theory. This was replaced, mid-19th century, by legal positivism or legal realism. These terms, for all practical purposes, are synonymous. So let's see what the positivist replacement was and then try to discover why natural law theory in the area of jurisprudence uh, fell apart and see if we can get some insights as to how to handle this thing theologically. Legal positivism. Well, it's associated with the names of two thinkers, John Austin and Jeremy Bentham, mid-19th century. And the essence of their position was that 
Law is simply the commands of the sovereign. It's a species of command. Law is what the legislators and the judges make it uh, by the acts that they perform. You can't look to a built-in law. There is no built-in uh, law which exists in human society such that you endeavor to conform existing legislation or existing court decisions to that law. It's a situation where law is simply a human product created by those who uh, are in a position to do so, the legislators uh, or, and or the judges. Uh, Jeremy Bentham was particularly irritated by uh, Sir William Blackstone. William, uh, Sir William Blackstone did the first textbook of the common law, the commentaries, uh, in the 18th century.